Luke 14, verses 25 to 35. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear... Let him hear. People think of me as young because Haddon is only three. And so, in some ways, I'm like this young parent with a three-year-old. And in many ways, I am not. I am old and tired. Um, (laughs) And so we've been, Abby and I have been looking at colleges um, for her, not for me. That ship has sailed. Uh, I've, I've done all the book learning I'm going to do. But um, we've been looking at colleges. She graduates high school, so she's, so she's um, planning to go to, to college next year. So we've been looking at college websites. College websites are great. They're fantastic. You, you, you go to college, like Purdue or something. You go on Purdue's website, and it's just full of promise. You know, Grace College website is full of promise. Um, any college you check out, full of promise. You know, telling you why you belong here, why this college is the place where you're, where you you can, you can unlock your full potential, where you can become the best version of yourself and you can really make a difference in the world. Huge promises. But as her dad, especially being the skeptical person I am, because I'm thinking, I mean, the thousands of people who filter in and out of Purdue, if they're the ones changing the world, then I, I mean, I, anyhow, no offense to you, <laughs> no offense to you Purdue grads. Um, a little bit skeptical. I want to know the cost of the college. How much is this going to set me back? As a dad, that's what I'm interested in, right? It's funny how the promises are all over the front page. you got to dig to find the cost. You have to click through many, many pages before, and you got to get your calculator out before you can figure out what the, what the sticker price of this education is going to set you back. What's the cost? Good marketing says you lead with the promises, and when someone asks about the cost, oh, we'll, we'll get to that later. You don't need to worry about that right now. We'll, we'll figure that out later. That's just good marketing, right? Colleges have it down. It's hilarious. Jesus is very interesting. I don't have time to tell you all the reasons Jesus is better than Purdue or something, but um, 
or any other college. But one of the things Jesus does, and He does it here in this passage, is Jesus brings front and center the cost. Jesus does not hide the cost. Jesus would not be very good at marketing. Because in marketing, you're supposed to bring the promises and hide the cost. Jesus brings the promises. Jesus makes incredible promises. The New Testament is full of upfront promises from Jesus Christ. I mean, we have forgiveness of sins, an eternal home with Him in the new heavens and the new earth. He's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to make all things new. He's, he's overcome this world. He'll give us abundant life. We can find real rest in Him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. We'll never thirst again. He makes huge promises. But... He also is very upfront on what this is going to cost. He never hides the cost. In today's passage, he's talking to a large crowd of people. And, and some of them, because they're there, they're, they're considering following him. They're thinking about signing up. They're, they're considering what would it be like to follow Jesus, to go all in on this. And so Jesus doesn't just make the promises to them. He also tells them exactly what it will cost. If you follow me, if you, if you are my disciple, it will cost you. The New Testament is clear. There's a few things we have to say before we get to the, the, uh, like the outline of the sermon, I guess. There's a few things we have to say. The New Testament is, the New Testament echoes everything Jesus says in here. The, 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 the whole of the New Testament echoes it. This is the, this is, this is what the New Testament is about. New Testament is clear that if we are saved by God's grace, if we trust in Jesus to, is He, if He's our only hope in life and death, if He is, if He is the one that we're trusting in for forgiveness of sins, to make us right before God, if He is our righteousness, if, if He is our death, if He is our life, if Jesus is everything to us, if He is our Savior, then He also will be our King. There's no such thing as a Christian who's not also a disciple. You're going to, if you're going to be a, a, a Christian, if you're going to be a believer, if you're going to belong to Jesus, if your faith is going to be in Him, if you're, to, if you're going to submit to His truth, then you're also going to submit to His commands. You're going to follow Him with your life. Colossians 1 puts it this way, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus is our Savior, He is our Redeemer, He forgives our sins, and He is our King. We are in His kingdom. A couple other things we have to mention that the New Testament is clear about is, is we, we, have to, we have to say, and we say it all the time, but it is easy to get confused, so we have to be clear about it. Jesus doesn't save us because we follow Him, because we obey Him. No, this is all grace and mercy. It's all, I mean, we, we, we are not saved because of our obedience, because of our commitment, because of, in, no, we are saved because of Jesus' obedience, Jesus' sacrifice. He is our Savior. It's all grace, it's all mercy. But the New Testament is clear. If we have been saved by His grace, then we will follow Him. We will obey Him. He will be our King. Another thing, the final thing we have to mention before we 
um, get to the outline, is, is that this life of obedience, the New Testament is clear on this, this life of obedience doesn't, we, we don't automatically become perfectly mature and obedient. We don't, we don't automatically become, become, um, the, the obedient disciple that Jesus wants us to be, like the prototype, like the poster boy, like, like perfect, completely sanctified, completely holy. We don't, we don't just, we don't just, um, get saved, get born again, and then just, we're perfect. It's a, it's growth, right? It's becoming more obedient this year than we were last year. Paul says in Philippians 3 that he's forgetting what lies behind. He's straining forward to what lies ahead. He's pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if not, God will show you. He's saying, he's saying maturity is realizing we have more to do. We have, we have a ways to go. We are, we are growing in obedience. It's a process. It's a journey. So you have to kind of keep all of those things in your mind. If, if you have been saved, then you will be a disciple, a follower, an obedient follower who is growing in holiness. You will live for Jesus' honor and glory. And Jesus is going to say to you today, this is going to cost you. Jesus is not going to hide the cost. He's going to say, you're, you're, you're thinking about you're thinking about me as your savior and as your king. You're thinking about following me. You're thinking about throwing your lot in with me. You're thinking about going in with me. This is what it's going to look like. Jesus puts the cost on the front page. So there's three questions as we consider. What Jesus has to say in these verses, there are three questions that face anybody who wants to call themselves Jesus' disciple. Anybody who would say, yes, I am a disciple of Jesus. There are three questions that, that we're confronted with as we look at Jesus' words. Three questions this morning. Question number one, do we love anyone more than we love Jesus. Do we love anyone more than we love Jesus? Verse 25, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, "Um, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That word hate is an incredibly strong word. And, and now you have to do a little bit of work as you're sorting out exactly what Jesus means by that because we know the rest of the Bible that Jesus wouldn't, he wouldn't teach against the rest of the Word of God. The rest of the Word of God tells us to love our family, to love our neighbors, to love others. So we have to kind of do some digging and what we'll learn as we, as we dig into the way the first century Jew, or even before that, and even in the Old Testament, we see it used this way sometimes. We have to dig into that word hate, and you realize what Jesus is doing here is he's making a very dramatic comparison. He's saying, you are to love me so much that all your other loves pale in comparison. 
So, so it's not like, um, you know, my top five, Jesus is number one in my top five. Jesus is saying, no, 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 we're not, it's not like close. Jesus is saying, you love me so much that the other relationships in your life pale in comparison. That's when he uses that word hate. That is a comparative word. He's, he's making a very dramatic statement. And if you're sitting there thinking, and, and, and probably some, many of you are, if you're sitting there thinking, that's crazy. That's crazy. If you're sitting there thinking, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I love Jesus that much. I feel like I love my spouse almost as much as I love Jesus. And I feel like that's probably okay. And so this is sort of shocking. This is sort of abrasive. This is, this is sort of intense. Especially when we think how, how intensely Jesus wants us to love our spouse. He wants us to love our spouse the way that he loves the church. And then he says, and then he says, you, you to love me so much that that doesn't look like that big of a deal. And you're thinking, that's crazy. Then you're, you're starting to understand what Jesus wants you to understand. He's the one that you love more than anyone else. And it's not even close. Question number, that's question number one. Do we love anyone more than we love Jesus? Question number two, are we willing to painfully die for Jesus? Are we willing to painfully die for Jesus? So Jesus just drops this bomb on them, right? Did not love his own father and mother, cannot be my disciple. And then he says, even his own life. And then he says in verse 27, who does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. This is, this is crazy. This is crazy. This is intense. The idea of calling someone to pick up a cross, this, this object of great pain and shame and humiliation, of saying, you're to be so devoted to me that you would gladly pick up a cross and follow me. That's intense. I, uh, I've mentioned this a, a couple times recently, and uh, um, somebody wake Judy up. I, I have to tell her again. Um, thank you. Uh, oh, you're awake. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Wide awake. You're wide awake. You're ready. You're good. Sorry. So anyhow, um, <clears throat> so anyhow, Judy made that card, and, and I was just, I had nothing but appreciation for it, and I, I expressed that last week. Um, and, and before I moved here, I didn't realize Pastor Appreciation Month was a thing, I, and I still think it, it's one of those like Facebook holidays. It's not real, you know. Like Facebook just generates fake holidays, like National Siblings Day, to to have clicks and posts. Like that National Siblings Day. That's not a thing. That's just a social media thing. So I'm not sure if Pastor Appreciation Month, if that's a thing. But I'll take it. I'm good. I'm glad. I'll take it. Um, but imagine if I said for Pastor Appreciation Month, instead of cards, I want you to gladly, gladly go to the electric chair for me. For, just for my honor, out of, out of just um, devotion to me, head on over, publicly be executed in the electric chair. Uh, most of you would say, I, I actually am going to just get you a card. Um, <laughs> I, I got this card at Walmart, the Bible verse. 
fall leaves on it. Can I just give you that? How is that good? And then you're going to call the authorities. What Jesus is saying here only makes sense if he's God. What Jesus demands of us, it only makes sense if he's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our only hope, our only hope, the one who's worthy of all of our praise, all of our adoration, all of our obedience. This, this is so intense. This idea of, of submitting to this humiliating, shameful, painful death for the sake of someone, it only makes sense if he is who Scripture says he is. Countless times throughout church history, starting with Stephen in the book of Acts, and continuing on even today in countries around the world, Jesus' followers have been gladly dying for their Savior and their King. I was reminded the other day of a, of a guy from 1500s in England, Hugh Lattimore, um, so he was condemned for heresy because he wouldn't stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he and his friend Nicholas Ridley were, were burnt at the stake. And Ridley, like I probably know definitely would have been, was crying out in pain. And Lattimore said to him, be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. <laughs> man up! Says one burning guy to another, Man up! And then he says, we shall this day light such a candle. He's even kind of using like fire imagery. As I just, what? We shall light this day a candle in England as I hope by God's grace shall never be put out. Man up, Ridley! The glory of Christ is at stake. The Gospel is at stake. Man up! It's worth it! Be of good cheer. There have been so many times where Jesus' followers have gone with a song on their lips to excruciating, painful death for the honor and glory of their Savior, their King. Are we willing to painfully die for Jesus? You say, you say Steve, you're being dramatic here. Are you willing to... to, to to turn your back on your family for Jesus? Are you willing to die for Jesus? I, I'm not being dramatic. It sounds dramatic because we have it easy. We have it incredibly easy. You read through church history, we're an anomaly. Freedom of religion is an anomaly. This is, this is, this is the exception to the rule. And I don't think we can guarantee that the exception is going to last for the rest of our lives either. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. So we're not being dramatic here when we ask ourselves, are we willing to painfully die for Jesus? And then question number three, are we committed to finishing strong? Starting in verse 28, it says, For which of you... Desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, 
all who will see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So are you, can, can you finish what you've started here? You've started out for Christ. Can you finish? Are you committed to enduring, come what may, to the end? Verse 31, Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? They outnumber us two to one. Let's think about this. And if not, while the other is a yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. I can't finish this battle. I cannot come out on the other side. I'm going to give up now. Verse 33, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. These questions, even if they seem dramatic to us in the moment, are important ones. Jesus wants to know, are we committed to finishing strong? He says in verse 34, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You you don't want to be the salt that just loses its saltiness, that becomes worthless, that that cannot endure, so you, and, and just be tossed aside. You don't want to be the guy who says, yeah, I'm going to build a tower, tower and then halfway through, you're like, ah, I, don't, I just don't actually want to build this tower. This, is, this, is, this costs way more than I was ready for. I'm out. Or the king says, yeah, I'm going to kill that guy. And then, oh, wait, they've got lots. That's hard. Now nah, I'm out. You don't want to be the person who just says, nah, I'm out. This is why Jesus is very kind to us and says it will cost you. There's a, there's a commitment level here. He's saying, what is the glory of Jesus worth to you? How much is it worth? And, and so it's hard for us. It's hard for us to even know that, isn't it? Because in most ways, our life is kind of easy. It's not super dramatic. I, um, I have the misfortune of being a University of Michigan football fan. I, I am a Michigan football fan. And um, and none of you care, but they their um, their bitter rivalry is with Ohio State University. So it's Michigan versus Ohio State. Ohio State has beaten Michigan in football. I don't know since every year since I was like in my twenties. I don't. It's been a long time, like the Reagan administration or something. It's been they've just kind of had our number for a while. So you can imagine, and but this is a bitter rivalry. Like, if you don't know, like, college football, how personal people take college football, then this is going to be a difficult analogy for you to see, the illustration for you to, for you to get. But, but Michigan and Ohio State, especially their fans, don't like each other. It's, um, a little bit scary sometimes, the, what they say to each other on social media. It's, I'm like, you people need to find a different hobby because you're going to lose your minds. But you can imagine if a Michigan football player in the middle of the game, this isn't legal, but if he, if he decided, you know what, I'm tired of getting beaten by Ohio State every year, halftime, I'm just going to go over to their team and play for them. They, they, I'm a senior, they've beaten me every year since I've been a freshman, I'm just going to at least be, I'm going to get one victory, you know? It'd be unheard of. 
to many people in this world, it would be treason. They would be turning back on their, their back on their family, on their hometown, on their values. This is what it was like in the first century. Like, like they cared. There was Team Jesus, and then there was Team Not. And if you flipped, if you went from from no, no to Jesus to yes to Jesus, He is my Savior, He is my King, you're turning your back on your family, you're turning your back on your how you were raised. You're, it's, it's treason. It was treason to, to follow Jesus in the first century. We don't have that now. We just don't, we don't feel that because people, if you say, if you tell people that you love Jesus, they, they don't care. Most people don't care. They, they just don't. They don't see two teams. They don't care. Nobody probably, no one's gonna, no one's gonna, um, arrest us for what we're doing this morning. Nobody's gonna try to kill us. And for the most part, our, our family, we're, we're not in danger of losing our family. Right? Not, not just for saying we belong to Jesus. We would have to say more than that. Now, perhaps those times will come and perhaps they already have in your life. Perhaps you'll find yourself in situations where you're, you're pressured to disobey Christ. You're pressured to directly disobey His Word. May, or, or just, or you're, or you're pressured to sign on the dotted line that you're fine with abortion or, or homosexuality or transgenderism. Like you, maybe you'll find yourself in a situation where you are being directly pressured to disobey the Word of God. To dishonor Christ. Maybe your life won't be in danger, but your career is in danger. Your relationships are in danger. And then maybe for, for many of us, that time, that, that kind of dramatic time of choice will never come. We don't know. We don't know. So it's good for us to ask ourselves if we're living low drama lives, if we're just kind of living peaceable lives and we're not forced to like come out against certain, um, certain sins that our culture is holding on to. There's no, there's no need for us ever to, to become a pariah in our culture. We just never put in that situation. And we're never challenged to renounce Christ to save our lives or to, to keep our families. So then we have to ask ourselves, what does it look like for us in sort of low drama lives, what does it look like to be committed to finishing strong? Here is my best answer for that question. Here's, the, here's my best answer for that question. We, we live our lives in such a way that if we did have to choose Jesus over our family or over our very lives, Nobody would be surprised when we chose Jesus. We, we live our lives in such a way that if the choice came, nobody would be surprised when we chose Jesus over anything. 
how can we make sure that we're there, that we're, that we're pressing toward the goal of finishing strong, that we're gonna, that we're gonna endure come what may? How can we, how can we get there? Well, we can, we can worship with God's people. We can faithfully, physically gather a church where we're fed with the Word of God, where we're giving and receiving encouragement, where, where we are worshiping, where we're being built up, and where we're helping others be built up. We're, we're committed to finishing strong, and we're with a whole bunch of people who are committed to finishing strong, so we're helping each other. That, that would help. We, we, we want to make sure that we're, we're committed to finishing strong in our relationships. So we're making, we're, we're choosing wise relationships. We're not gonna marry someone unless we're 100% sure they'll help us finish strong. We're not gonna develop close friendships. And, and by that I mean, I don't, I don't mean people that you are befriending for the sake of the gospel. I, I mean close friendships where, where we are learning and growing together. Where you are looking to them for, for advice and counsel and encouragement. We're not going to develop those kinds of friendships unless we're 100% sure they're going to help us to finish strong. We'll devote ourselves to prayer, to studying the Bible. We'll devote ourselves to pursuing humility, repenting of our sins when we're convicted of them, because we want to finish strong. No, it's not. You know, we're not going to make the church history textbooks. In 500 years, there's not going to be anybody, you know, recording um, Craig, when Craig Fisher says to me, he says, Steve, play the man. We, he probably won't say that to me when we're being burnt at the stake. He'll say it to me when he thinks I'm, a, I'm, I'm in danger of compromising the church to appease someone. Compromising the truth to appease someone. Craig and I probably won't make church history textbooks. But, but we are to say to each other, play the man. And you're in your women's mentoring group, so you've got to say that to each other. Play the man. No, don't. Figure out another way to say, <sighs> press on. All of this costs us, right? We, if we're going to commit to, to this kind of discipleship, it will cost us. Again, it may not be super dramatic, but it will cost us. It'll cost us some money. It'll cost us some time. It may cost us some, some close relationships, some, some, some friendships we could have had if we were willing to sort of downplay our commitment to Christ. It, it could cost us some career advancement. It could. It could. It could cost us some time we, we would have to ourselves. We were devoted to making disciples. To encouraging the church. So we don't know if it's going to be super dramatic, make the, make the church history textbooks, or if it's going to be just day in and day out, living in a way that if we did have to make the church history textbooks, no one would be surprised. They'd be like, yeah, I knew they would choose Jesus. Of course they would. Their whole life screams that they love Jesus more than they love anything else. That's the goal. That's what we're aiming for. Paul says it's worth it. 2 Corinthians 4. Paul says, we do not lose heart. The outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, this, this, this cost of following Jesus is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory 
beyond all comparison. Paul says, when we, when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, when we get to eternity, when we are with Jesus forever, the, the cost that He has called us to is going to seem like nothing. This is why Jesus with a straight face can say, you got to love me more than anything and my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Have you turned your back in disgust on your sins and turned to Jesus as your only hope to be forgiven? Have you believed the Gospel? And then the question that has to come right with that, then are you committed to following Jesus? Because if you say you've believed the Gospel, but you're like, meh, I'm following Jesus, there's something seriously wrong there. You, you need to have urgent conversation with, with someone about this. Are you committed to following Jesus? Today, tomorrow, till He calls you home? Are you committed to finishing strong? Jesus guarantees, front page of His website, it's going to cost you. It'll cost. It'll cost. It'll hurt a little. It may hurt a lot. It's going to cost you. But it'll be worth it. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your love. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You how Jesus is just upfront with us. We can believe His promises. and We can believe that He has overcome this world. And we can believe that He will make all things new. And we can know, we can know that, that anything, anything it costs us to follow Him for His honor and glory, anything that it might set us back, any, any kind of sticker price we, we, we get set, settled with here in this earth, on this in this life, anything be worth it. Help us to believe that. Help us to live every day um, as if you could ask anything of us and we'd be willing to choose Jesus over anything this old world affords. Help us, God, in Christ's name. Amen.